Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks are flying, dot com. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well, and you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight, I'm really looking forward to my guest. Her name is Anne Moore. She works with adventurous folks who want more to bring epic, playful pleasure into their relationships and their lives. Anne is an international blueprints or sec, uh, sexual blueprints coach, a conscious kink coach, and a certified sexological body worker. She's a regular presenter with Jaya Ma, internationally acclaimed sexologist featured on The View and Good Morning America, and with Pamela Madsen, creator of Back to the Body Sensual Retreats for Women. I'm so looking forward to hearing more about all these different uh, somatic body work and uh, sexuality techniques that she's an expert in. So welcome so much to the show, Anne. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, and it's really nice to talk to you again. It was such a pleasure to meet you in Denver. Yeah, Ann and I met at the Rocky Mountain Poly Living Conference in Denver in April, and I attended one of her workshops, and she was excellent, and I learned so much, so I want to dig deeper into some of these topics that she, that she presents about. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to hear about how does a nice, young lady like yourself become a somatic sexuality educator <laughs> and, it's a really um, great are, and tell us more about what your relationships are like these days yeah so, um, I began this exploration I would say really in earnest hmm. well let me back farther back than that that I've always been um, training and um, doing workshops and following um, just exploring mindfulness and embodiment, anything to do with the body and intentional touch and personal growth for a couple of decades. But the piece that I really hadn't looked straight at was about sexuality. And I was really kind of a well-behaved um, suburban mom and housewife for quite a while, <laughs> doing mm-hmm. just um, exploring those things around the edges. But um, I was feeling pretty unexpressed in my life and began to do more exploration around sexuality, I would say about five years ago. And one of the ways I started was with Dan Savage and uh, mm-hmm. listening to his, particularly to his podcast and hearing that, oh, you know what? There are people like me with just regular voices calling in um, that are curious about expanding their sexuality. So I started to build more confidence around it. And then uh, I found Jaya Ma and the Erotic Blueprint um, a couple of years ago. And she is the founder of this work, the Erotic Blueprint. And it's really, um, it explained a lot to me. I took a quiz. I found out what my blueprint was. And just a mm-hmm. light bulb went off of like, oh, my God, this explains so much about how I am. And that I'm not broken. I'm not wrong that I just am wired the way I am. 
And so this, this work is all about just recognizing that um, we're individuals. We have these mammal bodies and we're really quirky and we all like different things. And we get taught that there's kind of one way to do sex and relationships and that that's the right way and that if you want anything else, it's bad and wrong. And so that puts us all in a pretty narrow box and a lot of us don't fit. So this work is to expand the definition of what sex can be, what erotic expression can be. And then my work goes beyond that and it's much more um, where you are so it's about how do we get intentional about our relationships? How do we choose what kind of relationships we want, whether it's monogamy, ethical non-monogamy, polyamory? How do we construct um, the kinds of relationships that work best for us, including our sex lives? Like what if mm-hmm. we actually intentionally choose all that? So um, that was uh, about three years ago. And I've been coaching and teaching around this since and um, have really deepened my work also in kink, conscious kink. So for me, that's, again, about bringing mindfulness into sexuality. What if our spiritual life and our um, meditation practice intersects actually is, is completely interwoven with our sex life? What happens then? What if we don't check out and we actually have present for all of our pleasure? What can that look like? So that led me to uh, certification in sexological body work, which is um, a whole field dedicated to exactly that. How do we stay present? How do we um, really experience all that our bodies can experience and do it in a way that is ethical and um, consensual and full of, of meaning, deep meaning. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. That's it. And so that's what, what attracted do. you to, to really, like, what, what kind of um, a life did you have that, that you were attracted to, like, really flip your life around and really start to focus on sexuality as a professional? Yeah. So I had an early introduction to it um, way back in the day. In, I was in Silicon Valley for quite a while. And I lived in a house that was a group house that was run by a couple who were very involved with um, Moore University in Lafayette, which was a very early um, sort of, um, I don't know, I want to say think tank. It's almost more like a feel tank for Uh ethical non-monogamy. Yeah, so all about, like, what happens if you go beyond monogamy. And also they would teach classes about sensuality and and at the time, I wasn't ready for it. I was in my mid-20s. I just wasn't quite, it didn't feel like it was going to be me. But I was exposed to it early, that there was such a thing as open mm-hmm. marriage, that there was such a thing mm-hmm. as um, having more than one partner in a way that could be open and honest. And it's not about cheating. Mm-hmm. It's about um, deepening relationships and allowing them to develop organically, all of that. But I just wasn't there yet. And I thought I wanted, that I wanted to be, I knew I wanted to be a mom. And at that mm-hmm. time, I thought being a parent and meant that you had to be monogamous. Like that was the mm. only way to do it right and create a secure environment for kids. And so I went that route for a really long time. I was married for 24 years. And I did a great job raising my kids. And I think that we did parenting really well together. But that was a very long time. I was growing a lot and exploring. And as my um, son began to look at going away to college 
I realized it was just going to be the two of us looking at each other and that I mm-hmm. felt like there wasn't enough there. And so began to challenge that and have conversations about it and look at what can we do that's going to really sustain both of us because this is the next chapter of our lives. How do we want it to look the next 30 years, the next 40 years? What are mm-hmm. we going to do to make that count? And actually for me, it was, two, it, was, it was two big life changes. One was my son getting ready to leave. So sort of not ending being a parent, but shifting that, that role in a really mm-hmm. meaningful way. The other thing was mm-hmm. my parents died. My parents mm. uh, were older, and especially my dad um, was diagnosed with cancer, and it was a nine-month process. And he really accepted what was happening. But what it did was bring home to me that every we don't know how long we have, and that if I wanted my life to count, I needed to start now. Mm-hmm. And that's really what um, helped me start to jump off some cliffs and make some really big changes in my life. And I think the biggest piece about that was recognizing that security is really kind of an illusion. You know, we can um, try to construct our lives around safety, but we don't really have all that much control. And so what if Mm -hmm. instead I could look at what is meaningful for me? And what brings joy? And I realized that my sexuality was a huge part of that, was in fact the center of it. And that that's where I needed to look next. That's where I'd been neglecting. Mm-hmm. That's where I'd been afraid to go. Mm-hmm. And what are your relationships like today? So today, I actually just celebrated my one-year anniversary with my core partner, so I'm in a long-distance relationship with him, and actually I'm with him right now. We met up for a What did you call him, your core partner? Right? So, yeah, we like that term rather than primary because, uh-huh. hmm, because it feels like it's the anchor in my life, but it's not, it's not hierarchical. It's not that I'm going to choose mm-hmm. to protect this relationship against, like, marauders. It's, mm-hmm. it's actually <laughs> a metaphor that it's been a little – we've been sort of um, – searching for the right metaphor about that. So we use the term, or I use the term uh, relationship landscape. It's the people who are included in my life in all different ways, and that can change and grow just like a landscape does. And Mm -hmm. that this relationship is kind of like the river that runs through the middle of it. And Mm -hmm. so it's there. It's always a source of um, love and sustaining energy and um, joy, and it can change course, and it can allow other channels to come in and feed it, actually add to it, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't Mm -hmm. detract from it. And it can meet Mm -hmm. up with other rivers and go different directions, but it's always there. So that's the core relationship. Mm -hmm. And then I have um, a few different play partner relationships. So uh, one of them is very much based on kink. So this is someone who Mm -hmm. is um, a friend who's a, um, she does rope bondage as as well Uh as um, um, different forms of mindful play. And it's how we met. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, she's she's kind of like, um, how do we describe it last? A play partner with benefits, but also (laughs) like a kinky Mm -hmm. BFF, I guess. 
And um, <laughs> then another uh, partner in uh, another long distance partner who's kind of similar. She's um, a little less emphasis on pink, but just like really, really good friend. And we play, and sometimes we choose to play erotically, but not. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's very open ended and very supportive and and um, mm-hmm. very organic, like just allowing each other to be however we are. Mhm. Yeah, and then you know, and so, yeah, go ahead. Play parties or friends here and there. Um, right now, right now I don't have another committed relationship, and I'm mm-hmm. open to that possibility. And it's not something I feel like I need to create right away or create artificially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the exact question I was going to ask you if you are like actively dating or open to meeting people or you're just open to what the universe presents to you. <laughs> I'm I'm more open to what the universe presents. I did actually do a stint on um okay Cupid recently mm-hmm. in the last couple of months. For a bunch of reasons. One was that I am geographically single a lot of the time. And I was Mm. looking at, wow, you know, I'm all about touch. That's really what my life is about, is embodiment and Mm -hmm. touch. So when I am geographically single, it would be nice to have someone to just, you know, go out to dinner with or have a sleepover or whatever. So And also because I hadn't really ever uh, looked at online dating. Like, I'd never done it. So I mm-hmm. thought, I need to know about this for myself, for my own life, and also for my clients, for the people I work with, mm-hmm. to understand what it's like. And it was a super vulnerable process. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Um, and a lot of it was just going through that process of putting myself like really making myself visible in this way that feels really vulnerable of standing up and saying, Hey, I'm available. Who's interested? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right. then noticing yeah. that when there were, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Just noticing that when there were responses and they started to pile up, like that felt like pressure. Like I didn't quite know what to uh-huh. do with that. Uh-huh. Have you ever yeah, done I think... online dating yourself? E- yeah, I was just going to talk about I'm creating a course right now on how to find compatible polyamorous partners. And so I thought, well, I think I need to do some more market research. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so um, because, you know, I get out there, I go to conferences and I go to, to poly potlucks and meetups and I lead workshops and I'm out there in the world and a lot of people don't do that. So that's one of my suggestions is that people get off the couch and go out and go to the events where you're going to meet other polyamorous people. Um, And then the the second thing is to speak about it to people that you know who are either poly or poly friendly and just let them know what you, what you're looking for. So people are aware that you're looking. And then the third thing is online dating, even though it's, you know, personal ad dating, whatever you want to call it, um, because it's not just, it's a needle in a haystack process. I mean, it really is hard to to find someone, but in people do. But what I think is, is great about it is that you get to get really clear about what you want in the process of, if you're on OkCupid where you have to fill out this form and write your ad, um, it really makes you think about what you're looking for. And then as you 
meet people or even just correspond with people, you can refine that awareness of what you're looking for by saying, well, no, I don't want that. <laughs> so, for example, exactly. I, I met, I, I talked to, I saw somebody's picture online, seemed like we were in alignment, and I got really excited, and I got him on the phone, and then it turned out he had a don't ask, don't tell with his wife, and I am like you. I'm geographically single. I like that phrase, and I didn't want to meet somebody and get involved with them and like never be able to see them on their birthday or a holiday. I mean, if I had like three or four other deep long-term relationships and I was just looking for an afternoon delight kind of thing, I wouldn't care. But if I'm looking for like a deeper connection, then a don't ask, don't tell doesn't work. So that was something I learned. Oh, okay. I didn't think to put that in my ad. So you don't really know until you get out there and mix it up and you get more clarity about what you're looking for. So that's what I think is great about using OkCupid. It was, yes, it was exactly that. And I, I actually went at it kind of in the opposite direction, which was because I talked to a couple of poly people about using OkCupid. And what they recommended was to say as much as possible about who I am mm-hmm. and what I'm looking for, but especially who I am, and, um, and right. to answer just like all the questions. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how many questions I answered, but a lot. And that up front, mm-hmm. put as much as possible about me in the, in the profile so that if someone's approaching me, I have a better sense that they actually want to be me and not just mm-hmm. a warm body that's like female. Um, right. And, and, and it was a lot of it was just an exercise in being visible and proud mm-hmm. and saying, hey, I'm Polly. If you're not poly, mm-hmm. we're not a match. Like, that's not going to mm-hmm. work. Leading right. with that. Or, and leading mm-hmm. with, look, I have a committed relationship that I love. So, yes, I'm willing to meet people and see where it goes. And that's part of who I am. So that has to be okay with you. And that there's, you know, right. don't ask for help, not going to work. Like, yeah, the things that are like an absolute limit. I just leave with it rather than apologizing for it later on. No. Yes. I was, I had a friend, a friend with benefits who was complaining about how all the women he meets um, wanted to change him into someone monogamous. And I said, well, where are you meeting them? And he said online. And I said, what are you saying in your ad? And he said, well, I put at the bottom of my ad that I'm polyamorous. And I go, why are you putting at the bottom of your ad? Put it at the top of your ad. No wonder they're Absolutely. thinking it's an afterthought. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, let's save each other some time and be mm-hmm. clear. Exactly. Yeah. Or, yeah. or sometimes people wait till like, the third or fourth date before they tell people, like, it's some kind of, like, terminal illness or something. <laughs> right. Rather than, hey, you won the lottery. I have all these amazing communication skills. Uh-huh, exactly. You know, you get to be with me. Yeah. Right. And and I've also learned, like, from being polyamorous for 20 years, that when my partner, when one of my partners meets a new love, I get really excited, like like somebody just brought home a new puppy. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, boy, more friends. I didn't even have to work for it, and I got a new friend. I mean, they may not want to get to know me, but at least there's the possibility of a new friend without me even having to go out and find them. <laughs> exactly. I've actually, I've been going through that process really recently. Um, 
my core partner has a partner who's a comet, so someone who comes through every few months and stays for a few right. weeks and yeah. travels a mm-hmm. lot. And, and she didn't necessarily identify as polyamorous, but in the um, talks that they've had more recently, um, he brought up the idea of relationship landscape, and I had said, you know, for me, it really builds a lot of um, safety to meet the partners of my partners. Like that just makes mm-hmm. me more comfortable about everything. And it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's part of my ethic and intention in being poly is to be open to that and build community. So mm-hmm. I asked if she'd be willing to talk to me. And at first she was like, uh, why would I do that? I don't understand. <laughs> when yeah, because she just, it, and it wasn't like she was necessarily super resistant. It was just, she'd never thought of that. It just wasn't in her mm-hmm. world. But we mm-hmm. just recently have been exchanging texts, and um, it's, it's feeling really good. Like, we're at the point now where we're definitely going to have a conversation, and we're both really looking forward to it. And I'm really excited because he really likes her. So if someone I love, Think well of another person, I'm likely to like them too. Right. Like there's a pretty good chance of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's really true. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So um, when when I heard you speak at the Poly Living Conference, um, your topic was the um, erotic blueprints. And I think that's such a great tool for polyamorous people. So I'd love for you to go a little bit further into the explanation of what that is and how it's useful for polyamorous people. Absolutely. So, and I um, talked about this in Denver. Um, So the blueprints come out of this field of sexological body work. And Jaya Ma, um, who's my mentor and friend and teacher, had just been, she'd been working touching bodies for about 20 years, working with them in different ways. And she started to notice patterns in the way bodies respond to pleasure and touch and arousal. And they were really pretty predictable. And they're different from each other. And they don't necessarily follow the pattern of what we think um, sex looks like or arousal looks like. Because we're taught, you know, we get this information from, um, movies and porn and um, maybe some books, but it's generally like heterosexual. It's all about genital contact, um, and that's kind of the limit. And this goes far beyond that. So um, there's five different types, and it's there's no hierarchy in it. And what I love about it is it means if I'm aroused. Um, it could be by something as simple as someone gazing across the room at me, that that's actually mm-hmm. where excitement starts for me. And it's not necessarily about running right up and having sexual contact or saying, hey, I'll be going to have sex tonight, like super directly. Maybe what I need is a lot of tease and anticipation. And that that's, not only is it not bad or wrong, like that's a superpower of a certain kind. So it's a little like, are you familiar with the love languages, the five love languages? Yes. Yeah, so it's a little like that, and some of your listeners might know those, but it's, it's 
Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, it's like, do you prefer to receive love and affection from, let's see, what are the five? I, whoa, let's see if I can get them. Um, quality time. Are there, touch. Yeah. Um, just like different ways of expressing affection. Maybe it's acts of service. Maybe it's, and that they're different the, from each other. So this is like There's that. like words of affirmation. That's me, people that like to hear words. Yes, me too. I'm huge about that. I love to hear mm-hmm. praise and just reassurance. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the five erotic blueprints are like that, and it includes language, the kind of language that we want our lover to use with us, but also the kind of touch that we want to receive and how they want us to, mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, just super briefly... So the five types are energetic, and energetic people, it's not like they love exercise. It's a different kind of energetic. It's about playing with <laughs> So playing with um, presence and being intuitive and exchanging um, energetic connections. So people who are energetic love tantra and kundalini and the idea of sacred sex. They're all about healing their partner. Um, emotionally and intuitively and they love peace and space and waiting and longing and um, their arousal can start without any touch at all and they can feel um, orgasm without touch so they have all these superpowers about being able to feel present but then also um, each one of these has kind of a it's a shadow is what we call it in the work but it's a place where you could be, you could, um, you could shut down. A place where communication might break down in a particular way. So for energetic people, it's um, that they can sense their partner until they get these epic, super amazing soul connections, and they can also feel when their partner checks out. And if their partner mm. gets distracted or checks out, then they shut down. So that's energetic. They're amazing. They're sort of like the Jedi of the erotic world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for them, if you go straight at them and want to hug them or touch them or do sexual touch right away, that's like too much. It's overwhelming. It doesn't work mm-hmm. for them. They need, mm-hmm. they need to build up. Mm-hmm. So that's energetic. Um, there's sensual. The sensual type is all the senses. They just can experience pleasure from any of their senses, all of them. So beautiful sights or dance or music or essential oils. They love that the environment is beautifully appointed and elegant, mm-hmm. and if not elegant, at least um, beautifully arranged. Mm-hmm. And that helps them to relax and get into their body. And mm-hmm. they, uh, they need to relax in order to have sex. And so they're the ones who need, like, the candles and the music and the bubble bath and maybe massage. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they are the people who bring the beauty and romance into sex. So they're all about kissing and cuddling and um, love stories and just um, epic romance. They're the ones who'd be running across the meadow to greet each other and like, dance in the meadow. Um, mm-hmm. Sensual, sexual, sexual is all about directness. And so they love, um, they're the ones, they're more like, our typical model of what we think sex is in America. So mm-hmm. it is, and it's more like what porn looks like. So mm-hmm. naked bodies, um, genital touch, 
that there's going to be penetration and orgasm, for sure. And they need certainty. They need to know that sex is going to happen. So they're very mm-hmm. simple, very direct. There's this honesty to them that's just disarming and charming. And for them, sex is play. It's like easy and fun and simple. Like, it's just sex. Um, and they need it often. So for a sexual, I was saying sensuals need to relax in order to have sex. And a sexual needs sex in order to relax. It really, it regulates mm. their nervous system. And so mm-hmm. when they are getting regular sex that is with a partner who feels good to them, they feel nourished. They feel like everything's right in the world. And they're like the happiest people you could ever meet. They would do anything for you. And if they're not getting sex regularly, it's a problem. Like they get really stressed and it's hard for them. Mm -hmm. And that's when a lot of conflict might happen. Mm -hmm. And for sexuals, um, especially if they're in a monogamous relationship and their partner is seen as the source of sex for them and then Mm -hmm. it's not happening, that can cause a lot of conflict in the relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. And for them also, they might have a really narrow definition of sex. So they might think that, like, penetration and especially PIV, like penis and vagina, is it. But it's all, mm-hmm. it's all about penetration and orgasm. And they kind of miss everything else it can be. So the romance or the presence and the energy and the sacred approach to it and taking a lot of time being really mindful, having it be almost a meditation process that involves tons of pleasure, the journey of it. They might miss that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so let me have you put a bookmark there before you continue on. Great. Um, I want That's to, good. just in case people are joining us late, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Suma T. Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatsparks.com. We're speaking with Ann Moore who is a um, somatic sexuality educator. And she does a lot of different things, but right now we're going a little more deeply into the erotic blueprints. And there's five erotic erotic blueprints. She's talked about three so far, and we're on the edge of our seats waiting to hear about the final two. But if you have any questions for Anne, feel free to call in. The, the number is 657-383-1132. Again, that's 657-383-1132. And you'll, you'll be automatically get put on hold, and we'll answer your call when there's a pause or a break in our conversation. So feel free to call in. And please continue, Anne, with what is the fourth blueprint. Well, I, mean, I just want to break for a second and step back and notice, because we started this with how are these helpful for poly people? How are these helpful mm-hmm. for people who have more than one relationship? So even in monogamy, this is like deeply helpful because, for instance, let's say I'm an energetic person. I need lots of space. I need to really feel your presence before I want any kind of touch. And I'm in love with you, and you're a sexual. And what you mm-hmm. want is to, like, have sex right away and have it be penetrative mm-hmm. sex, go straight to the genitals, and that's it. So how do we then navigate that? if we're so different from each other. And that can look and feel like sexual incompatibility. And Mm -hmm. that's not like a death sentence for a relationship. What that means is 
I speak French and you speak, I don't know, English. And that means that if I'm in love with you, I'm not going to be walk away and be like, well, if they don't speak French, that's it. That's, you know, I'm going to try mm-hmm. to learn some English. And you're going to probably mm-hmm. try to learn some words in French. So it's exactly like mm-hmm. this. You can learn any of these. And one is not better than another. And especially for anyone who's poly, it means when you start to understand your own type, your own blueprint, then for me what that did is make it much easier to tell anyone what I want and need. Here's who I am. Here's how I work. Here are the keys to the Ferrari. Now you know how to work with my body and my turn on, and I can tell you about it. And it means if I know the other blueprints, that I can start to understand how you work and I can offer you what you want and need and honor how you are that's different from me. So in that way, it's more like the love languages. We tend to offer what we want. And this way, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's stepping up the sophistication to say, no, I'm gonna, it's like active listening for sex. I'm going to find out what you need and then I'm going to mm-hmm. try to give you that. And not mm-hmm. in a way that's inauthentic, but in a way that allows us each to stretch and reach toward each other and create some bridges. Mm-hmm. So um, already we've got, let's see, we've done the three types. We've gotten to sexual. So well, let me just insert here that I, I think, yes. like, from what you said, if if an energetic is with a sexual, I could imagine that the sexual, if they could give, if the, if the energetic can reassure the sexual that there is going to be sex, <laughs> Yes, and then exactly. the sexual can yes. give them some energy to give them time to get to sex. Exactly. Yes. So there's an a, there's a generosity to this. There's a generosity of saying you're different from me. How awesome! That means I get to grow and learn and expand mm-hmm. who I am, so we can reach toward each other. Exactly that. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. gonna have to learn some new skills. Maybe it's gonna be a little awkward. I might have to be a beginner in your world, but I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you to be a beginner in my world. And there's this mm-hmm. beautiful vulnerability to that. And to me, vulnerability is the renewable resource in best mm-hmm. relationships. The more we mm-hmm. can go to that place, the more connection we actually create and the more trust we create. The more that I can be vulnerable with you, then the more you can see who I really am. And if I show you who I really am and what matters to me, then you trust me more. You know, you know, you feel some security of like, okay, they're not pretending, they're not hiding. So maybe I can show them more of who I genuinely am. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and sex is like the most vulnerable place we've got. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what made it take so long for me to start this work is that I felt scared that I'd be judged for working in the world of sexuality. And especially mm-hmm. as someone who was raised to identify as female, for a female in the world to stand up and say, I love sex, that's really scary. Like mm-hmm. that's a place where... Um, Traditionally, there's been a lot of shame and um, judgment and desire to control women's eroticism. Mm-hmm. And so it's going in the face of that. And it's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And yet, 
if I want to have great sex and great relationships, that's exactly where I need to go. And the the blueprint yeah. gives it gives it makes it a little easier because it just puts language to it, right? And it gives more permission yeah. to talk about it, right? And just on that topic of, I mean, men have their own things and. But um, yes, non-binary <laughs> people have their own things, but I I just run into a lot of men who um, are in sexless marriages, and they're wondering like how how can they tell their wives that they want to be open. So what I find is that women have been conditioned to learn the man's um, sexual blueprint, but the man isn't conditioned to learn hers. And so she has been going without hers for however many decades. And finally, when she gets older and, you know, has her family and her life is, you know, she's more mature, she's just like, okay, I'm done. I'm so over this. She's so tired of, like, doing sex on his terms that she just goes on strike and then he's left with no sex and doesn't know what happened to him. Because she never really got to be validated for her way of of having sex. She didn't even know there was other ways of having sex. I totally agree with that. And I would add that um, I believe there's another piece to that story, which is that in uh, vulva-owning bodies, in female-identified bodies, we've been taught um, that we should, that someone else is supposed to turn us on. And someone else is supposed mm-hmm. to create our orgasm and our pleasure. Mm-hmm. And our mm-hmm. work, the, the responsibility we have is to say, wait a second, this is my body. I better learn how it works and actually have a self-pleasure practice. Like start with ourselves. Start with touching ourselves. Actually, Teen Vogue has been really great about this. They had an article, I think it was like two years ago, that was about if you've got a vagina, this is how to masturbate. And what they said is your first orgasm should be with yourself. Like, what if we had that? Beautiful. Mm, that's and beautiful. so if I know how my body works and I know how I like to receive touch, I can tell somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I also then understand that my turn on, my pleasure, like I create that. That's in my body. I can share it with mm-hmm. you, but mm-hmm. it, you're not the source of it. And so you're not responsible for it. And so then mm-hmm. I don't resent you if it's not happening because it's like, well, wait a minute, maybe I better like do some more research on my own thing. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, so and that's not, you know, that's across the gender spectrum in America also, actually, that we, we've got a huge taboo about self-pleasure and a lot of shame about it. Right. So that's one right. of the biggest things that I work with is that's less like assignment on day one. Is, well, wait a second. How much do you know about your own body? Let's work on that. Mm-hmm. And, and movement, because we don't move. And, if, and any kind of movement will enhance your sex life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Side soapbox side, side, um, there. Okay. So the other erotic movement. We're getting to the one, one of the ones I love the most, which is the kinky blueprint. Mm. And this is the one where a lot of people have shame about it and find it hard to claim at first. I think that's really changing generationally, actually. I think it's getting a lot more mainstream. It's not necessarily Fifty Shades of Grey, although it can be. It's whatever feels forbidden and naughty to you. Mm -hmm. So 
it can be um, bondage and ropes and BDSM and whips and chains, and it may not be. It may be as simple as wanting someone to tell you what to do or wanting to play games, to be in role play and be the pirate or be the (laughs) puppy and have someone fully engaged in that place erotically with you. It's really, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is the place that's the most playful. Any of these can and should be playful, and kink just opens so many doors. It's like any way we can imagine playing with bodies and with pleasure, we can eroticize that. Mm. Kink's a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. And because there's so much shame that has been attached to it, because it doesn't look like what we think sex is supposed to be, then as soon as you step out of that and you do it with self-acceptance, and you then share it with someone else, to me that's where the biggest healing can happen, or some of the biggest healing. Because then, I'm, it's, again, it's about vulnerability. It means I'm saying, I want this thing that looks outside the norm. What I really, really want is for you to thank me. Would you do that with me? Because it's something I genuinely want and need. My body loves it. Would you do that mm-hmm. with me? There's going to be people who say, no, that's weird, or no, so then I don't. I'm like, okay, Cupid, they'd be a no. Um, but if you're a yes, and you're like, oh, my God, I really want to do that, too. That's awesome. That's exactly the thing I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to be the one thinking. Do you want to be the one who is thinking? Then it's like, it's, like we're, it's like we're in the playground again, and we've just met a best friend who wants to do just what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's that, it's that simple, and it's really beautiful. It's really healing to be witnessed in that place. I love how and you that, talk about it with such permission. Yeah. And it's, it's about bringing, that's, when I say intentional, it's about that. It's about saying, what do I want this experience to be about? Well, what I want is to show someone else who I truly am. That's what my intention is. Whether I'm mm-hmm. the dom, whether I'm controlling, or whether I'm in submission, I'm going to bring my whole self, and I'm going to ask them to bring their whole self, and then we'll have a conversation about what does that mean, what do I want, what do I not want, and be really upfront about it. And we were talking earlier about online dating and okay Cupid and being visible. The kink world's a great place to learn that because. Kinky people understand about negotiation, and they you have to lead with who you are and what you want, or you won't get anywhere. Like if you're mm-hmm. just to say you're kinky, kinky, that doesn't really give that much information. Because right. I could be kinky, kinky, and the one thing I really want is um, adult baby play, or I get to wear a diaper. And you might be mm-hmm. kinky, where all what you really want is to tie someone up and spank them. Like those don't mm-hmm. match. So mm-hmm. I have to give you a lot of information, and I have to get used to doing it clearly and directly and vulnerably. It's a mm-hmm. great model for any relationship. Right, for getting consent. Yeah. Yeah, and agreement. I like to think of it as agreement. Like we're both a, a yes to whatever it is that we're doing, and if we're not a yes, then we probably shouldn't be doing that together. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. So okay, so um, before we run out of time, I want to hear the last, um, yes, the last blueprint, and I have a couple other questions I want to fit in too. So, tell us what the okay. fifth one is. I'll be quick. This one, this one, um, we can be quick. So the last one is called the shapeshifter. It's what I am. And it is all of the above. So you need and want all of those different ways of expressing pleasure and eroticism and joy and play and stuff. So I need to be, uh, I need to feel your presence. I need to have the energetic exchange. Um, There needs to be sensual beauty and romance. I also need pink. I need straight-up sex, like the intercourse, penetration, all of that. Um, and I need to mix it up. So shapeshifters need lots of variety and adventure. It's one of the reasons a lot mm-hmm. of shapeshifters are poly, and a lot of poly people mm. are shapeshifters. Mm-hmm. We, want, we want the whole smorgasbord. Mm-hmm. Like Taco Tuesday is only going to work for a couple days, and then we need something totally different, and we need sushi. Um, I I wonder if a lot of shapeshifters also become sex educators, because I relate to that one, too, when you were going through them. I was thinking, really, do I just have to choose one? (laughs) Exactly. That's the total shapeshifter question. Wait a second, but I want all of those, and I want more. I always want more. Yes. Um, Yeah, they actually do. I think a lot of sexological body workers, especially any any sex educators, are probably verging on shapeshifter because... We're sex geeks. We want to know everything mm-hmm. about everything and how to do mm-hmm. it all and we want to sample it all. And it's just super fun. And so, you know, if the energetics are the Jedi, it's like the shapeshifters are like the Stradivarius. We're sophisticated. We um, understand a lot of um, erotic expression. And we just love to play in every arena. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So you can yeah, and you can see that, like, okay, if you start to really dive deep into these different types and you're then able to read a new partner and talk to them about this, ask them a few questions, and then be like, oh, my God, you're sensual. Right. That's your main form of expression. Now I know how to talk to you. Now I know what to mm-hmm. offer you that's going to delight you. Let me tell you about me. I'm a sexual. Here's what I need. It just it, mm-hmm. um, it provides a lot of shortcuts. And a lot of compassion and a lot of understanding. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Awesome. That's so interesting. Thank you so much for outlining that. I really appreciate that. I think it'll be really helpful to a lot of our listeners who may feel like they've never really been validated for what their primary erotic blueprint is. And maybe they felt like they were broken. Right, or maybe they felt like, why doesn't my partner understand me? Why are they so different mm-hmm. from me? What is the deal mm-hmm. with them? Why isn't it working the way that I touch them? Mm-hmm. That you can learn new skills and new language to maybe shift that. And especially, hmm, I want to be careful about this. If I used to say that like every relationship, sex is the glue. I had a bias about that, and I've been talking more to the asexual community and understanding more about that. And there are relationships that are completely valid and beautiful that don't necessarily involve direct erotic expression. So I want to honor that. And then say, for those of us who need and want erotic play with a partner, it's a place that can create 
sustainable connections that helps us to come back together when things get hard. If, mm-hmm. if we're having great sex together over a course of time, it means that, first of all, there's less conflict anyway because we're feeding our bodies in a way that, you know, helps us be calm and centered and happy and joyful. Like when you get laid off, it looks like life is good, right? When you're receiving <laughs> what you want and you feel really seen and loved for who you are. And that means that then when something hard happens, there's a death, there's a struggle, there's a layoff, that we find reasons and ways to come together and there's, there's a trust and safety that's at a body level that makes a difference in how and how sustainable any relationship can be. Mm-hmm. Yes. So my next, uh, last question, I know we only have about five minutes, and this is a huge topic, but if you can try to summarize it. Um, the, the, process, the, the practice of asking for what you want, I believe, is a lifelong practice. And, you know, I get continue to be challenged by it as I go deeper into really knowing myself. And I also heard you say that vulnerability is a renewable resource. I love that. Um, so vulnerability is not always easy. It's not always easy to ask for what you want. And so if you could talk briefly about how that intersects with trauma, because you say that you are a deeply trauma-informed coach. So can yeah. you talk a little bit about how scary it is to ask for what you want when it's when it's a deep sexual turn-on, somehow it triggers those core wounds in us. Right. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm a body-based coach and body worker. So to me, the, the key is in the body. And the way that trauma shows up is it makes it hard, it makes it scary to be in our bodies. It makes it hard to even feel what's happening that's the practice, is to breathe, and it's a mindfulness practice of, of pausing, breathing, and checking in with my own body about what is it that my body wants? Can I ask from this place? And it's, it's kind of humbling of just like I'm in this mammal body. This is actually my home. This is what I'm in all the time. Can I show you what my body wants? And ask from there. Because we often, instead, we're asking from our minds of what we think we want. When I ask, when I go from there, it's that I, that's where I get into people pleasing. That's where I'm more likely to ask for something from you because I think you might want to give it to me. Or because I think um, what I want actually is too big. And that, um, so I can only ask for like 10% of it. And when I really, what I really want is 100%. Like what my body really wants mm-hmm. is 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a really hard thing to, to ask this answer really quickly. You're right. But the, the practice is self-acceptance. So it's saying, you know, this is actually the way I work. I, this is why I like the blueprint because there's no right or wrong in all of this. It's just I'm wired differently than you. That doesn't mean you're wrong and it doesn't mean I'm wrong, but I might want something different. You might want pizza and what I really want is a salad. And it doesn't make me wrong that I want a salad, but I need to tell you that and express that and accept that that's what I want. 
Um, and so when I work with clients or I teach, it's about continually coming back to, it's like the simplest answer of if I, if I can breathe and, and feel the sensations in my body without making a story about them, then maybe I can tell you what's really happening. So, for instance, if mm. I'm feeling tension in my belly and my heart rate is, rate is really fast and my, uh, my breathing is shallow, I can make up all sorts of stories about what that's about. But if I can just feel that and share that with you, then you have an understanding. And so then we can work with, okay, so maybe that's anxiety. I think maybe I've got some emotions coming up. Can I tell you that? And it, it gets out of you're bad and wrong for not understanding me. Why haven't you already given me what I want? And it's the vulnerability piece of, oh, this is what I'm feeling. I'm just going to tell you this. You don't have to fix it for me. And you're not bad and wrong for not having figured it out earlier. I just, I want you to know this about me so that you just know me and I'm responsible for how I feel. Mm -hmm. That if I can share that, it then gives you permission to do the same. Then we can start to soften. Then we can start to get into more vulnerability and um, see each other in a way that's not about blaming or controlling. So it's mm-hmm. coming back to, I mean, it's eye language, but it's even more, it's like body-based eye language. It's mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. body wants, my body is. This is how my sensation is right now. It's not mm-hmm. a complete answer, but. Yeah. And the trauma piece goes to the body as well. That if I'm, if I know like, for instance, a lot of times people, um, their turn-on is actually really interwoven with anxiety. That's pretty mm-hmm. common. So if I start to ramp up into arousal and I'm getting really excited and you're doing these great things for me and then I'm like, oh, this is overwhelming. Ah, I don't know if I can show you this. That can lead to some really bad interactions if I don't tell you that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And... In working with that, we can go back to the body to release it. Mm-hmm. So um, when I work with trauma relief, it's about getting out of the story of why that's happening, what it is, and instead work directly with what can we do with sound to get that out of your body? What can I do mm-hmm. with um, being present with you, whether it's remotely or in person, to just accept, okay, that anxiety is there. Um, can you shake? Can you move? What can you do in your body that will allow you to release this energy? Because it comes about having had something that was overwhelming, it got stuck because it wasn't expressed. And so right, then what right, are right. Okay, I'm going to stop you there, Anne, um, yeah. because I want to okay, make sure that we have enough time for you to let our listeners know how to reach you and what you have to offer them. But I just want to thank you so much. It was just really some deep stuff, and I'm really glad we got to go into that particular at the end there. So 
Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. And I know you have so much more, so I hope you'll come back again sometime and talk about some of the other areas that, you, that you're knowledgeable about. Absolutely. I would love to do that. There's all sorts of things we haven't quite touched on, so we'll get there next time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so you've got about two or three minutes. Okay, great. So um, my work, I offer um, one-on-one coaching. I work with individuals and couples and triads. I haven't gone beyond triads just because of time management piece. Um, but, um, and I have three openings for new clients starting in July. So for listeners who are listening live, you have the opportunity to contact me to receive a complimentary session. And this is a one-on-one time with me where we can talk about uh, what you want, what gets in the way, how to realize your goals, and whether we're a good fit for working together. So this is really an application process in, on both sides. We're evaluating each other to see if this is going to work, if we're in alignment. Um, it's really important to me that that be true so that I can really help you meet your goals. So the way mm-hmm. to reach me is on my website at yesandmore.com. You can find me on Facebook at um, Ann Moore, A-N-N-E-M-O-R-E. Oh, and I'll spell out the website is yes, A-N-N-E-M-O-R-E.com. I'm on Instagram at yes.anne.more. Or you can email me at yes.anne.more at gmail.com. It's yes and more at gmail.com. And I'd love to talk to you and find out what it is you want to explore, how to um, bring intention and playfulness and joy and exploration into your sex life and your relationship. Let's talk. Yeah, because you say on your flyer that uh, this quote about um, the extent to which we prioritize care for our eroticism is the extent to which we allow our genius to be fully present in the world. I love that. So the eroticism is so important. It is, and it's our creative force. It's our life force. So the more that we can release any blocks or trauma that keep us from expressing that, we get, we get to reclaim all of that power and energy, and we can apply that to the rest of our lives, to changing the world, to being present with our families, every way that we are in the world. It just makes makes the world better and makes us more grounded, more conscious, more generous, and more mindful people. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much, Anne. I loved having you on the show, and I'll look forward to the next time. Good luck to you. It was a total joy. Thank you so much, Celeste. It was a pleasure. Okay. Have a good night. Bye-bye. All right. You too. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Leading Edge Love Radio. I will be taking a break to do some travel this summer, but stay tuned for future episodes in July. Good night, everyone.